this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. And he was one of our players, and he played the the, the psychic um, Karina. And as a way of getting round, not having to do anything on camera, he claimed he was allergic to everything. So he was like, you know, because there's the lemon grove in it, and where there's the weird lemons he pick off the trees. The first thing he says, "Oh no, I'm allergic to lemons." And I thought that is brilliant, and it's so the character. So we wrote it into the character that she would claim to be allergic to things to get out of doing them on the camera because she wants people to take her seriously. I am fascinated by the process of collaboration and the creation of content. I sit down with Bud from Bud's RPG Review YouTube channel and the prolific scenario writer Alex, and we talk about their new modern Cthulhu scenario, Viral. For their first outing as a writing team, it's an impressive piece of work. And I really enjoyed finding out who does what and how they work together. This episode, like all the content coming from the third floor, is only possible because of the support on Patreon. A big welcome to our newest floor heads, Nathan Emery, Mary McCurtry, Roland Suljic, Restored Thought, Motto Automato, GM Scott, and Stephen Palmer. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Alex and Bud. Stand over the dead bodies of all the demons you just slayed in this room without breaking a sweat, only to discover that the door is locked. Okay, you roll lockpicking. Ooh, no, okay, um, how about you roll strength to break it down? Uh, um, that's a fail too. Uh, you're stuck. Crap. Hey there, Ron from the Dungeon Society. When I'm not making customized 5e D&D content or printing 3D tabletop miniatures at home, I'm listening to Tabletop Talk. Welcome. Howdy, friends. Craig here. Today, we're talking to Bud from Bud's RPG Review YouTube channel and Alex Galat, publisher of over 30 RPG titles on DriveThruRPG. Together, they've created the modern Call of Cthulhu scenario, Viral. So, Bud, let's start with you. Welcome to the third floor. Hello. I'm fanboying a little bit. I've been a huge fan of your channel for a good bit of time. And between you and Seth Skorkowski, everything I ever need when it comes to running Call of Cthulhu, I can go to either channel. So I appreciate you making the time. That's good that you watch. So, Bud, um, at one point, you knew nothing about this, right? You didn't know that you could roll dice, pull out a sheet of paper and pretend to be somebody else. And then it was put in front of you for the first time. Can we go back to then? Well, I mean, my start with, with role-playing games starts slightly before sitting around a table with people because um, there was a set of um, choose-your-own-adventure books. Um, have you heard of Steve Jackson's Sorcery? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I got money for my, I want to say, 10th birthday. And there used to be a supermarket, uh, like a not so much a supermarket, but like a chain of stores in the UK called Woolworths. And I remember going in with my five pound gift voucher. That was worth five pounds was worth like 50 pounds now. <laughs> and I saw this, this book that caught my eye called uh, the seven serpents. 
And I didn't know it was book three in the series. But it just caught my eye, and I was walking around the store and looking at different things, and I kept on going back and looking at it. And so eventually I decided, I picked it up, brought it back, and then I, sat, I thought it was I thought it was an actual, just a novel. And then I read the beginning bit, and I was like, oh, well, this is actually a game. And then from the first from the first time I played through it, I was absolutely hooked. Really? Um, yeah, and for, for many years... Well, I was going to say, for a couple of years, I just bought Choose Your Own Adventure books and and played those. And then one day in school, a friend of mine, um, we we turned up for our lesson, and it was during, there was a lot of teacher strikes in the UK in the early 80s. And we turned up to the lesson, there was no teacher there. So uh, so one of our friends said, "What have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? And we were like, I'd, I'd not even heard of it. And so he, he made up a little dungeon for us and we played it in the, the hour that we had to just sit in the, in the room. And then that's all I could think about. Interesting. For, for like the then going forward. And then the same guy, a couple, a couple of weeks later said, I was just, how do you fancy playing something like a, a real role playing game? And he whipped <laughs> out, he whipped out RuneQuest second edition. Nice. Um, which I bought a while back the, the box set of and we only had the box set so we only had the book the, the box set you know your apple lane and the other scenarios we didn't even know they existed i thought for many many years that rune quest was just that book interesting and we just we we at the summer holidays we used to go around to a friend's house and we played pretty much every day for six weeks wow. just making up adventures we did i mean we didn't know didn't know anything about Glorantha. we didn't really care you know, there was a spell called Detect Silver. I've, I've often mentioned this when people have spoken about it, but in, in Glorantha, Detect Silver is to do with the moon goddess. We thought it was just for finding treasure. So we we just... Which is a reasonable assumption. Well, well yeah, when you don't know the, the lore of, of, yeah. of, the, of, of the game you're playing, you know, that's uh, that, that's where we went. And then from there, I progressed to, it was Judge Dread. Nice. Then Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. And I didn't, I didn't play D&D like for using the books until AD&D and I'm, and I'm going to say 1989. Yeah. So my, my, my first thing was never the red box D&D. It was RuneQuest. Isn't that something? Yeah. So that, that, that was where I got my beginnings. And the first, the first book I ever bought was Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay first edition. And I still have the same book that I bought in 1988, 89, I think. And it's fallen, to, it's fallen to bits, but you know. Yeah. So seldom those books survive their parents and moving no. and going to university and stuff like that. So good for you. So, bud, um, you are no longer in high school. Uh, you've got a couple more years uh, in you than when you did when you were in high school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you obviously vividly remember, you know, those adventures and those times when you when you were playing those games. Do you have a sense now as as an adult looking back at that, like what was it that got Bud so hooked? Um, why did the, the Choose Your Own Adventure books grab onto you? And then why did sitting, you know, sitting playing RuneQuest just just occupy your mind? It was the, I think, I, I often found novels and television predictable. Mm. Um, and I'm smart enough that I can normally work out what's coming. I mean, there has been the odd novel that's completely surprised me. But more often than not, an author will lay enough clues throughout a book for you to pick up where it's going to go at the end. But as I knew my friends were 
writing adventures and putting us through all, you know, and this is at a time when you couldn't really buy that many adventures. Yeah. So you, you kind of had to write your own. Um, it was the uncertainty. It was the not being able to predict what was going to happen next. That was kind of what, what I craved. And I, was, I mean, also, you know, you do kind of have rose-colored spectacles about the whole thing, but to look back on the time you spent with your friends, it, it was just, a, it, was a, it was a joyous, carefree time. Yeah. Yeah. You know. the, the ability to just, you know, sit in like weekends, right? Like we would play for a weekend when we were that age. That meant we got, got there Saturday morning and we played for 12 hours, might've get may, may have ate, may have not ate, and then went to bed and went right back to playing it. Yeah. That's what we did. Um, so, but as you kind of look at this history, right. Um, you know, we talked about the beginnings, but I think it's also interesting, especially as we get into you as a creative what were other big landmarks for you? Were, were there other times where you were into the hobby and then something you came across something that made you just go, holy shit, like I had no idea. I mean, do you mean in the sense of like you read something or but there was a game that made you, that changed how you view games? Yeah, let's 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 start there. So what, what were games that changed how you viewed the hobby and how and, and changed what you thought you wanted from the hobby? I've, I mean, to think more in more recent years, it'll be. And we're talking maybe 10 years ago, um, where I picked, I finally picked up the, the, the original Delta Green book for Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. I read it and I would, and I got in there and I thought, that is one of the greatest role playing <laughs> books I've ever read. Um, and when you know the backstory of Delta Green, you know, the big lie that's being sold to humanity and all that, I remember thinking to myself, why, why have you not read this earlier? Why has it taken yeah. you this long to get this game? You know, because it was released 10 years before I bought it. And that, and that, that just, it just kind of made me want to get, I mean, as you, you just look behind me, you can just see, you know, what I'm like about that screen. And so for those of you listening, he's got, and we talked about it in the uh, green room, he's just got Delta Greens that takes up an entire shelf. And it's, I'm so envious. I've got other, other weird bits that have Delta Green things as well, which you probably haven't seen. Like the, um, because Rachel Ivy for a while, um, I, I, I contacted and they had this thing. I think they took 10 stamps, you know, like rubber stamps, Delta Green ones to Gen Con. And I messaged Rachel, said, can I have one? And, you know, because obviously I promote <laughs> what they do loads on, on you know, because I, I love the game. And one of the guys I know, Dr. Dr. Cowie, um, he was at Gen Con. So they passed it to him. And I got some, I got some sew on patches and things like that as well. Um, and, I, and I, with the Kickstarters, I went all in on all three of them. Like everything can print. And the amount of people who've since said, I wish that I went all in for these because they're so good when they release them. Well, and, and here's the thing about what they do is, you know, you know, a couple of things. One, you're not going to get it tomorrow. But it's going to be worth the wait because, you know, they have a very solid, transparent policy, which is we're going to release them when we're done. Yeah. And the amount of love and effort and pride in their work just comes through. Um, Absolutely, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I backed the most recent one, which is going to be, you know, bring back to life some of the original content and stuff like that. And I, I just know I know that when I get it, I am not going to regret the wait nor no the price it because it's going to be gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. So, Alex, let's talk about you a little bit. Welcome to the third floor. Hey, how's it going? Good, my friend. So similar question, right? So at some point, again, you didn't know anything about this hobby and it was put in front of you. And I'd like to go back there. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. So my first introduction was uh, a birthday present. I got the original uh, basic D&D set, um, <laughs> which had the uh, uh, the dice that you had to actually like color in the numbers with the crayon that comes with it. And, with and, the crayon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It comes with a little crayon for, for those of you who don't know and it's young to know. But it's yeah, you got a little crayon. You actually had to fill in the little numbers so you could read them. And uh, uh, it had that it had like keeping the borderlands and sort of all this classic stuff. But it was all just, you know, uh, uh, you know, saddle stitch, you know, books and, and, and the original thing. And I just uh, I remember after getting it, just, you know, sitting there on the carpeted floor with my friends, just just going over it and just immediately just picking up and started playing it. We were playing it wrong. We had no idea what we were right. doing, but we, 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 we could, we were picking out enough to, you know, uh, to, to attack our first gelatinous cube and, 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 uh, <laughs> you know, and, and that was just a blast. Um, I just, cause we, you know, at, at, you know, I was very young at the time. And of course at that age, you, you know, everything's about pretend, right? We used to do, we used to do all this kind right. of stuff on our own anyway, you know, go out in the woods with, uh, you know, um, and, and do all kinds of, of pretending, but uh, with this, it had this sort of structure around it, which was just, uh, which was brand new. And so that, that was just kind of awesome for us. We, we really, we really liked that, um, the story. And so we'd begin making sort of adventures for, for each other, you know, just, I think there was like maybe three or four of us initially. Um, and then I just continued sort of, you know, I got involved in a group, um, in high school and well, I think it started in junior high actually. And then we went through high school and, and uh, just, you know, kept on playing. So, Alex, as, as you're, you know, as you're growing with the hobby, right, and you're playing all mm -hmm. through high school, um, one of the things I often hear from people, and I did this, is you, you end up taking a break, right? You, your real job, uh, other interests and stuff kind of pull you away from the hobby. Did that happen to you or have you been playing straight through? Oh, pr pretty much straight through. The only, the only time I took a break was when I, when I moved someplace where, I moved to, I moved away from the group and we really didn't have a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of people in the area, but not pretty much straight through. Um, we would take, we would take breaks from D and D because, um, we would sort of take turns and then we had uh, a few people in the group who liked running other stuff like, uh, what was it at the time? Like Gamma World or, uh, yeah. Boot Hill. Um, and then very occasionally, what was the other one? Top, was it Top Secret? It was, it was a spy one. Top Secret. Yeah. I, I think it was Top Secret. Um, and we used to use those kind of in between campaigns as little kind of palate cleansers, I guess, to just sort of take a break from, from the other stuff. But one person in our group, he had an uncle who was, you know, an, an older adult and, and pretty soon he was running campaigns for us. And so he would just run all these, you know, long involved campaigns for us. And, uh, yeah, we just, we just kept playing pretty, pretty constantly, um, throughout, you know, our early years into adulthood. Alex, you know, and we're going to get into this here in a, in a future segment, but mm -hmm. you obviously um, have spent a lot of time making stuff for Call of Cthulhu. So I'd be interested to know when you came across Call of Cthulhu for the first time and, and, and what that what impact that had. Um, I, I, I came uh, let's see, I started looking into Call of Cthulhu probably in the nine in the early 90s, I want to say, I think it was. But I, I was doing some horror role playing before that. There was a... Uh, uh, there was a Palladium book that came out. Um, what was it called? It was Beyond the Supernatural or something like that. I, I, mm, I don't sure know that one. Nice. Cover, the cover was was just so, it just drew me right in immediately. And uh, and so I began to sort of write um, stories and scenarios, you know, that 
you know, that I would use other system for. But, uh, you know, it, w- it was all sort of modern horror. Um, but then, yeah, it was. Uh, so, OK, no, I'm sorry. Alex. So do you find yourself drawn to that as a genre in general? Um, is that your favorite genre or do you just, you know, you're willing to play anything and run anything? Uh, I'm willing to play. I'm willing to play a lot of different things. But, yeah, I think horror is probably my my favorite. Um, and, you know, pe- people I, I mean, I would argue that, you know, in many ways, you know, D&D is horror. Um, mm-hmm. like if you if you, t- if you took any D&D encounter and just put it in our world, it would immediately become a horror movie. <laughs> you know, it, it's it, then, you know, it's this you're still fighting these horrible monsters, essentially. It's just that um, in D&D, you have more resources to fight them, I guess, in the ter- in terms of like magic and, and uh, special abilities and things like that. But it's uh, yes, it's not I don't I don't think of them as, as not horror, I guess. <laughs> and, and right. Yeah. Most of my players would probably agree that most of my scenarios that I that I make on my own, my adventures that I make for D&D definitely lean more into the horror genre. So let's deconstruct that a little bit if we could, Alex. So. Sure. What I mean, it's obviously we know what makes Call of Cthulhu horror, right? As we as kind of given when we talk about it, but but I think it's more interesting to say when Alex runs D and D, how how does somebody at the table go? Oh boy, Alex really has a horror slant on this. Like, what what's the <laughs> elements you bring that change things? <sighs> I, th- well, I, th- I think it's 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 vul- ultimately good horror is about vulnerability, right? Um, if if the characters are not at any risk, then there's then there's no horror involved. Right. If, if, there, if there's no threat, you know, they can't be afraid of it, <laughs> you know, right. So I think by, you know, if you can make an adventure that that put that that puts the characters in real genuine peril. Um, I mean, you don't want to make it a no win scenario because that's no fun for anyone. But the, the more threat and more risk involved, the, the more the more terror it can be. And then the rest is just sort of window dressing. You know, it's like, is it is it, you know, is it a sunny, bright, sunny day or is it thunder and lightning? Is it raining? And uh, uh, one of my favorite sort of versions of that horror I was able to really lean into it was uh, the original Ravenloft uh, adventure, which was, I mean, that was, that was groundbreaking in, in, for me anyway. Not only was it written very differently than most other uh, uh, adventures before that, but, you know, the sort of isometric maps and, and you know, the lore behind it, it yeah. was just, it was a very different, um, a very different thing. And, and it was definitely my, my cup of tea. You two gentlemen are separated by just a small little pond. Um, and, you know, up to this point, as we talk about the time that you uh, each of you spent with the hobby, we've yet to talk about the two of you coming together. So when did the first when was the first time that, uh, Bud, that you uh, kind of came across Alex? Um, Alex um, messaged me and asked if I'd like to do a review of one of his scenarios, um, The Pipeline, mm-hmm. um, and, and sent me a copy. That's right, isn't it, Alex? Yeah. Although, although I think the first time we actually com- communicated was uh, was a play test, wasn't it? Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, it, that was just before that. Um, yeah. I I'm quite into creating liminal scenarios. You know, the the, uh, the system liminal by Paul Michener. Yeah, Paul's been on the show. It's a great system. It is. It's a, it's a great game. Um, I've, I've been lucky enough to actually have Paul run liminal for me. And I've run it oh, for him. Oh God, that's great! It's a bit weird running it for him because <laughs> I, I knew the rules better than he did. Um, and I asked, I asked um, Alex if he'd like to play test it because I, I think Alex has become a patron of mine. And I just, mm. I, I put, an, I put a little shout out there to say, 
anyone want to play test this scenario? And it, Alex came back and went, sure. And we, we got a group together. And I remember Alex created this really interesting character because he was, because obviously it, the world of liminal things are infused with magic is the whole point. And Alex's character was um, a guy called Vincent, who was a chalk artist, but his chalk art was filled with magic. And when people looked at it, it would move and things like that. And so we, we had this, we had this great game. Um, and then I think you sent me the copy of the pipeline, which I did the review of. I, you know, I, I know I get sent a lot of stuff, but I did the review of it and I thought it was pretty good. And then from there, when I got Impossible Landscapes, the whole point with Impossible Landscapes was I wanted to run it because that make that validates my review, my big breakdown review of it a bit more. Yeah. And so I've got a couple of guys like, um, Scott and Keith from the Titterpigs podcast are friends of mine and a Pookie from Reviews from Really I. And I, so I, I had a few people I was thinking about asking and I said, I'll ask Alex again because his character was really interesting. I didn't know what, what I was in for with the character he created for a possible escape. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it if I told you. <laughs> All right. Well, pause real quick because I want Alex to tell me about his impossible landscapes character now. <laughs> well, now keep in mind, I didn't realize that, uh, I don't know if this is a mild spoiler or not, there's a, there's a, there's a time jump between sort of sections at the very beginning. Like you skip a few years in between, right? Yeah. So I, I, I made an older gentleman. <laughs> yeah. So I made an older gentleman who, who was, um, he was part of the, he was a, a psychi a psychiatrist who was part of the MK ultra program. And so he had this, this background in, in, uh, he'd already sort of been involved in sort of some covert, you know, uh, government activities and so forth. So he was, he was not new to that aspect of things. And, uh, uh, but he was also, you know, uh, into psychedelic, um, you know, drugs and so forth. And, and, uh, so he, he, uh, uh, but, but he, he had been through a lot. Let's let's just say he, he, he was, he was right. sort of burned out. Um, and then he was recruited by Delta green, but then, you know, but he was already in his, I think he was like in his sixties or something like that. When I, when I, um, yeah. when I had him. and then, and then I find out this suddenly this, what, like it was it, like a 20 year time jump or something ridiculous like that. It was, was it so 10 or 20 this, years? Like, or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm like an elderly man who's like, who's lost, who's lost his mind. He's, he's, he's you know, adi a, 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 addicted to, to, to all sorts of drugs. And, and yeah, he's, he's, he's uh, somewhat whimsical. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he, he turned oh, out very different amazing. than I had originally intended. So. It's every every week we got a laugh out of it. But that that's the fun of this kind of role playing, right? Like, like even a character that you make initially, by the end of it, maybe nothing like you 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 know you you've envisioned, you know, as as the story unfolds. I I talk about that a lot. It's a hill I'll die on, which is you know you can sit there and you can create a character and write five you know five fifty pages whatever of backstory and have this entire concept. You have no idea who that character is until. Until it hits the table, until mm -hmm. you put yeah. on that skin and actually start playing it. Exactly. Um, and which is why I'm not a huge backstory person for that reason. But boy, that sounds like a lot of fun, especially for the GM. <laughs> well, I'm the he's, GM. He's, he's, <laughs> right. Yeah. But did you warn him and say, dude, like, like you're going to be 80 years old pretty soon? Uh, no, because I wanted no, him to, to find out for himself. <laughs> but the worst point is, obviously, you know that you know, you know about the whole thing about the yellow sign. It features throughout Impossible Landscapes. The first thing he did when we got the found the yellow sign was climbed in the back of a cab, drew it, and then said to the cab driver, "Have you seen this?" Oh my god! 
And did, did you do that knowing the whole Yellow King thing, Alex? Or Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's great. No, so to be, to be fair, he had just, he had just read or he just, didn't he just didn't he just, like just get a copy of uh the the King of Yellow play? Yeah. I think he just he just yeah. read it. So oh, okay. He's very he's very excited to share it. Share <laughs> in his cabin. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the two of you are bonding over the game, right? You're playing together. You've played a couple of mm-hmm. games together. I, I want to get a sense before we move to the next segment. When did you, either of you start going, I think I want to do something more. I think I want to do make something together. Where did that first uh, happen? Vidal was originally a scenario for liminal. Interesting. Called the, what was it called? It was the, the twice set agreement. Because it was to do with a Ouija board, and Ouija is is uh, Ouija, yes, yes. So it's the, the twice said, yeah, it's the agree it's a double said agreement. It's a yes, yes. Um, and it was about it was set in Scotland, and it was a group of uh, ghost hunters, that, which is fairly similar to what is in the scenario. Going to an island in Scotland to do an investigation to do the million subscribers, but it was in the middle of winter. And it was all covered in snow. And but in the liminal scenario, it's not it's not what's in viral. It's it's a, a fairy that's bound to the island that's gone mad. And that's creating all the kind of ghosty effects. It's not actually evil, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this at the end of one of the impossible landscapes sessions. We because we will often often sit around and have a chat afterwards. And Alex said, That sounds like that sounds like a, a really good idea for a a, a Call of Cthulhu scenario. Would you want to work on something together? So I said, I said, yeah, that, yeah that'd be cool. great. And then it just took off from there, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and, and yeah, because we stripped out the things that we knew would work. You know, obviously the fairy thing wouldn't necessarily translate as well, and, no. and some other things. And uh, I think, I think, Bud, you came up with the idea of because uh, you had mentioned that uh, that ghost hunting channel. I forget what the name of it was. Who who did that? Oh, ghost Adventures. That, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where they actually went to an, this haunted island, and uh, yeah, Paveglia. And so, oh, it's off the coast of um, Italy. Yeah, right. So this this is sort of our version of of, of that place. It's in a different location, but uh, we decided to come up with our own version of that, and then it just sort of went on from there. And then, um, and then the name viral came up sort of naturally out of the uh, the the story as as we were sort of putting it together. Alex is Alex is being very kind. There, he came up with the name because <laughs> when he showed me the cover he designed and he and he said this is the title, I was like, that that's perfect. Oh, because, that's so cool because it has a double meaning throughout. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It, it. Um. Yeah. It's good stuff, and we're going to have a whole segment about viral. So, guys, the Insider Insight series is my opportunity to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators and learn how they approach their work. I try and understand their process, inspiration, and methods for crafting their creations. And that's what we're going to do with Alex and Bud uh, today. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, though, we're going to talk a little bit about a YouTube channel called Bud's RPG Review. We'll be right back. If you're like me, you love Blaze in the Dark by John Harper, or perhaps you've never played it. Either way, we've got something very special for you. We are the cast of the actual play of Blades in the Dark on Third Floor War's YouTube channel. Join me, Václav. 
Joe, Roman and Dean Westbrook as our crew, the umbrella means fight to control the underworld of Duskwall. Blades in the Dark is the perfect RPG if you want minimal prep and exciting heist movie styled action. And like all role-playing game actual plays on the channel, you get engrossing roleplay combined with mini-tutorials of the game's mechanics. Veterans of Blades in the Dark can watch and see why John Harper himself called the show a great example of player-driven gaming using Blades in the Dark. If you are new to the game, we will show you how the mechanics work, and you will see why Quince from the Shut Up and Sit Down, in his reviews of Blades in the Dark, proclaimed Blades has me wondering if I'll ever again find an RPG that resonates so perfectly with my friends and me. All right, friends, go to Third Floor Wars' YouTube channel and watch us play. Each session is action-packed, full of great role-playing, and showcases why many RPG enthusiasts love Blades in the Dark. So long before I uh, bought Viral, and just by the way, uh, I've got the hardcover. It's gorgeous. Um, as somebody who runs a lot of Call of Cthulhu, uh, I cannot wait to bring it onto the channel because it's super clever. And we'll talk a lot about about that. But that's not how I discovered Bud. Um, when I returned back to role playing and uh, started putting together, you know, a group to, to play Call of Cthulhu again, which I hadn't ran in 20 some odd years. Uh, I came across Bud's channel. And if you have not gone to Bud's RPG review, big plug. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you know what a fan I am. Bud's approach to it is is very unique and it um, it's something to watch. But I don't want to talk about what Bud's channel is about. I want to get an idea of where it came from. So, but when you think about it and go backwards, um, when was the first time you thought, you know, maybe I want to share my thoughts about these games? Well, that's a question. Um, <laughs> see, the, the the only channel I can remember from from before everyone seemed to be doing them was Kurt Weagle's Game Geeks. Yeah, but he's so he's really sporadic. He has been better recently, but he's really sporadic with where he talks about stuff. And he can be, I think, he can be quite he can be quite combative as well. Mm -hmm. You know, if he doesn't like something, he really tells you he doesn't like it, which I I am fine with, but. I can see why people would be rubbed up. If I wanted to find out about something, if I search for the game, uh, it would always be on reviews from Relay because Pookie reads like no one. I He's, he's inhuman how, how quickly he reads and writes reviews up. Yeah. So um, I came up with the idea of doing the channel. It's, there's a bit of a backstory to it. Is, um, I was, it's going to sound bad, but, but I'll explain, okay? <laughs> I, was, I was losing my memory quite severely right because oh, i God. because i had undiagnosed um obstructive sleep apnea which was causing me to not be able to sleep i was sleeping for 90 seconds at a time before being woken up by me breathing <gasps> okay um and as a result my memory was going i would read a book and then forget anything about it that any rules i would i would go in and play games um that i played for years and not remember how to do things so through my work, um, we have private health insurance. I mean, as you know, in the UK, healthcare is free, but to be seen privately. So I got diagnosed with it and treatment for it. And then I noticed my memory was starting to come back. Unbelievable. So I started rereading the books um, that, I, that I'd 
forgotten things about and it was sticking. It was starting to stick again because I was sleeping properly. And um, on the way to our games, my friend, my long, a long, you know, a long-term friend of mine, Mark, I, on the way to our game every Wednesday, I pick him up and we, we drive up together. And I would, I would, I would be talking about, I've, I've reread this and is this right? And, and we just got chatting away. And I said, Joe, I should just do a YouTube channel where I explain how things work to people. And he was like, yeah, you, you definitely should. Yeah. So I had a look online and other than Kurt Weagle, there was, it seemed to be more about um, people showing themselves than showing the books. And there was one particular channel, I don't remember the name of, but the guy literally had the book next to his face. I was talking about it and turning the pages like this. And I was like, I was looking at it thinking, I don't want to necessarily see you. I want right. to see what you're talking about. So that gave me the idea from there for my channel with the idea that you wouldn't see me. You'd, it would just literally just be the hands. But it would be an entire focus on what I was saying. I want you to focus on whatever it is I'm showing you and what I'm saying about it, because what I look like is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I've got my wedding ring on there. I don't wear my me, me wedding ring on any of my videos because it's irrelevant. Right. Um, it just brings up what people, people will often sometimes say, you know, they would ask you about, oh, I didn't know you were married. And that's irrelevant. So, so the idea was, um, I received treatment for the sleep apnea, and so I, I thought, I thought, right, okay, I'll, I'll create a channel. I don't know what to do. Come up with a channel name. Went and grabbed everything to do with it, you know, like Twitter, all like YouTube. We grabbed all, all the bits that I needed to do, and then I put out my first video, which was um, Delta Green Agent Handbook. Isn't that something? And it was terrible. The video. <laughs> it was it, the audio was recorded on my phone. Then right. rooted through audacity. I didn't know anything about macros. It just sounded terrible. <laughs> and the video was with no, was no lighting. It was the camera on my phone on a tripod. And yet somehow I managed to get 20 subscribers <laughs> off this, this hot garbage that I put out. And fairly early on, one of my subscribers was Seth Skolkowski. I think it was, he was one of my first 20 or 30. No kidding. Yeah, and this is when he had thousands at this point. Yeah, and I thought I looked at his stuff and set stuff, as we know, is great. Uh, and I was like, I, I really need to up my game here. Yeah, and that's kind of where I've gone from there. I've tried to up my game each step along the way. Yeah, and in fairness, or you look at, listen to, or watch some early sets, and Seth struggled from the audio oh, yeah. video as well. And we all do it, right? We all go yeah. through it. Um, so I, I love. I love getting the backstory behind, you know, obviously the, the unique visuals uh, of your channel, but you know, that's not it, right? That's not all of it. There's, there's gaps that you must have seen that you said, I'm going to fill. So let's talk about how you approach this and you know, what, what were you, what problems were you solving? So you, you were, look, you said, this is not happening out there and I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fill these gaps. Um, it was the kind of the deep dive. Um, yeah. and, and instructional because this is another one that might be a bit of a ramble but I get to the point eventually is um, when, I, when I set out to do things like uh, when I did Max and I last step over 17 videos yeah. I do a complete breakdown of each chapter some chapters taking three videos because they're just too big otherwise they're too unwieldy and I have I have a patron who's got slightly slightly diagnosed ADHD and um He's, he's, he's a super nice fella. He really is. And he, he, he messaged me and he said, just to let you know, I really struggle with sitting and reading. 
Mm-hmm. But when but when I can sit with the book in front of me with you explaining what's going on and it sticks and I understand and that's it. something. Yeah. So it was the idea that I could get that I could do big breakdowns of campaigns, not only to help me understand it, but to help anyone out there who's, who's struggling to wrap their head around what's going on. And it's the bigger campaigns, obviously, like Impossible Landscapes, like it's any part video series. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm currently doing six seasons in a Sartar, which is a, a RuneQuest, a superb RuneQuest um, campaign. And that's going to be me kind of thing going forward. It's these big campaign breakdowns yeah. and multiple parts to help people run them. And, to you know, whenever can, whenever possible, I want to run them. Because I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to be doing a series of face-to-face videos, but for patrons only, called um, Bud's Guide to Running X. And I've already written part one of Impossible Landscapes: How to Run the Night Floors. What what I did and what I would do differently. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be like a patron-only thing, and they're going to be face-to-face. They're going to be like, oh, you know, with a camera. So, but um, logistically, I've been curious about your process. So you, you identify what you want to talk through, right? Mm-hmm. What you're going to make the video for. Do you script it and yeah. then record or uh, can you walk me through like you, you pick something up and, and can you just give me an overview of, of your process? Okay. So it's one of the questions I get asked, asked the most is how do you, how do you get the, I mean, I do now. But how do you get the audio and video and everything just sounding so good? And how how do you remember all that? Well, I don't remember all that. I script out my videos entirely. I record the audio. And then when I record it, I have the audio playing. And I essentially mime what I'm doing on the video, on the audio. And then when I, when I import them in, because I've got the audio playing in the background when the video is recording, I can synchronize them. Right. So I just click a button, it synchronizes, and it all matches up. Right. But I think, to be honest, the thing I've learned the most about since I've been doing the channel is perhaps surprisingly not video, it's audio editing. (laughs) I've become a a real dab hand at audio editing. You know, I can can take... If I I know I, I if I record a video that's like forty minutes of audio with all the ums and ahs, the breaths, the retakes, the swearing, the why why did I write that? Talking to myself, I know I can no, normally knock like twenty five percent off the size, right? Just through tweaks and little, cutting little tiny bits off, and you know, and, and I think the, the audio is a big part as well because some people I know have, have listened to my stuff in the car with, without watching the video. No, the, 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 the quality just from top to bottom is outstanding. So, you know, we obviously talked from an equipment standpoint, um, the journey you've taken right from the hot garbage first video to really the, the, the top technology and process you're working now. What have you learned, though, as a creator during that process? So so if I were to go back and ignoring the obvious differences from a, uh, an audio video quality, what would I notice your journey as somebody who's creating these videos? Um, what, what have you gone through? What are you doing now that you didn't do before? It's 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 hard one to answer that because it's a bit, it's about how forgiven I'm, I'm, I've become. Interesting. Because if I pick up something by D and D, if they if they make a mess of something that's unforgivable, they have unlimited money to throw at it and a huge team. If I get sent something that a guy has wrote in his back room. <laughs> On, on his own with no help and put out, I'm a lot more forgiven with that because you can see the love that's been put into something. Right. Based on, but just, you know, you can see someone's just come with a good idea and ran with it. Uh, whereas, whereas 
the bigger gaming companies, it's just like knock stuff out as quickly as you can to fill the gaps where we're meant to be selling something. Like the, the perfect example maybe would be the, the latest Spelljammer set. Mm-hmm. There's no excuse for that being as bad as it is. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's what I've learned. I've learned going forward. It's just to be, you, you find yourself being a bit more forgiven with the smaller creators because, you know, cut them a, a break here. I'm not, I wasn't before, but I am now a small creator. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just to be a bit more kind for the small creators. And that is a perfect transition to my next question, uh, Bud, which is now that you've gone through the process from nothing exists to Craig ordered a hardback copy of your book. Thanks, by what the way. Has, <laughs> you're welcome. I've mentioned it a few times. Um, what has that changed as far as your perspective now, having gone through that process? Has that changed how you dig into the stuff you're reviewing and breaking down? Um, not really. How about the opposite then? How did the fact that you had spent so much time breaking down all of this stuff, how did that impact your you creating viral? It made me more mindful. It made me more mindful of the things I don't like to, to read in books. Mm. And I think Alex would agree. I was always saying all the way throughout, no, I don't want to put that in because that kind of thing it gets on my nerves. And we did so many little tweaks, but I think ultimately the little tweaks all the way throughout paid off. Can you give me some examples of the stuff that you, that you dropped out because it annoys the hell out of you? Um, walls of text. Yeah. Um, occasionally I would say to Alex, who was doing the layout and I'm, I'm sure Alex is going to have a come back, back at this and explain why, but <laughs> like occasionally he would send like a kind of pre pre-production thing. And I'd be like, there's five pages there with no breaks. Can we shrink one of the pictures and put one of the pictures in just to break things up a bit? Because white space and things like that and breaks in pages are, for me, what keep me interested. Right. You know, if I'm reading a book and there's five full pages, just top to bottom writing, I zone out. And I'm expecting that if you, you know, the lowest common denominator is, is, is me in that sense, I'm going to zone out. So I expect there's going to be other people that will zone out. You know, the best you can expect is people won't zone out and will take in every, every bit of it. But you know, if it, I don't want to put people off. And, and those people that can make it through five pages of all text aren't going to be put off by the picture breaking it up, right? So it's a win-win no. by, by by doing that. Um, so I guess that leads to Alex. Alex, how much of a pain in the ass was it to deal with all of the little things that uh, Bud wanted to change? Well, you know, it, it, I mean, working with someone is always a pain in the ass. Okay, Even, they, they can be, they can be, you can, <laughs> they can be the best person True. in the world, and it's and it's always a pain working with someone else, right? Because you know, anytime you're doing something creative, you know, you want your vision, you know, and they want their vision and, and somewhere you find that, 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 uh, that middle ground. But, but I think, I think with what works with us is, um, it, it actually, that tension does help them to make it better, right? Like, you know, he's, you know, he, he pulls for certain things. I pull for certain things and we end up, um, you know, through 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 those little frustrations here and there, we end up coming up with something better. Ultimately, you know, it's that 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 friction that actually, you know, causes the you know causes it to become better. I think for us, yeah. At least that was my experience with viral. I guess we'll see with the next one. <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> yeah, oh, the next one. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's the big punchline at the end of this podcast. Is both Alex, Alex sit, turning to Bud and say, "Dude, this is the last one. That was it. I can't do it again." <laughs> 
<laughs> so, um, so Alex, I want to take a similar journey with you, but obviously not about a YouTube channel. So you are, you're playing these games, you're running these games and, and anytime you're playing or running a role-playing game, you're creating, right? That's part of what oh, this sure. process is, but I run games and I play games and I've published nothing. And to be honest with you, I've never had that urge to publish something, but you did. And I want to get a sense of what drew you to say, I think I need to put this in front of more than just my table. I mean, I've, I've always wanted to, to publish I and mean, even back at, even back in the early days, you know, in the uh, late eighties or so, um, you know, uh, I, I would, I would occasionally submit stuff to, you know, TSR at the time and, and, uh, or, you know, they would have contests or, you know, those type of things. Um, but at the local game shop, I would also submit stuff to them that, you know, I would actually like, uh, do these, these little, little adventures that, that would, you know, photocopy at the local library <laughs> after, after making it, you photocopy it, staple it yourself, <laughs> fold it, and then, yep. you know, ask them, Hey, you know, we, we put up like, you know, 10 of these out and see if anyone, you know, for, you know, a quarter a piece, see if anyone wants to buy them, you know, that, that kind of thing. So even, even back then I was, I was doing, I was doing that kind of thing. What, what, what drove that Alex? But, but why? I just, I, I, I've, huh. Hmm. I, I just, I, I want, I, it, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, I guess it's a thing as a, as a DM or, or GM, like you get that thrill of someone who really gets something out of what you created. They enjoy it. They have yeah. a good time. And, and, and you want to share that, I guess I want to, I want, you know, as many people as possible to have, to be able to have a good time with this. You know, it, it, when, a, when you, when you, when you like to create things, you just want to, you want to create it to the point where people can, can enjoy it. You know, I guess is the, the simplest answer. <laughs> so, and, and obviously we're going to link to your uh, drive through RPG uh, page, which is uh, so impressive, but I, I want to talk about, there's a lot of Call of Cthulhu scenarios on there. Um, we've talked about already, you know, your love of horror. So it, it makes mm -hmm. sense to me that that would be where you would exercise some of your creativity. Um, and, and maybe the easiest way to do this, Alex, is think of one of those scenarios that, that, that you have up on the site. I'd like to get mm -hmm. a sense of your process. So um, pick a scenario and and walk me through when the, the idea of that scenario was born. Uh, well, I guess I'll go with Highway of Blood since that's still one of, one of my favorites. Um, it, and really came out of the idea of uh, once, 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 once I had done the pipeline, which was really the first Call of Cthulhu one that I did, um, you know, I, I realized that it could be done. And so I wanted to do something, you know, bigger and better. And, uh, mm -hmm. but I wanted to do something that was um, uh, different than everyone else. Like I never, I never really resonated with the 1920s. You know, I've, I've played in, you know, the classic right. era and that sort of thing, but it was never, you know, never something that, that really resonated as, as, as well. But I grew up in the 70s, right? I grew, I grew up watching Grindhouse movies. I grew up watching The Hills Have Eyes and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, and, and all these kind of movies. And, and that, that was my thing. And so, but there, there was really not much in that era at all. Um, and so, I, you know, I thought, okay, well, here's, here's a niche that no one's doing anything in. So, I will, I will try and do something like that. And so... Um, the first thing I knew that I wanted in it was a car chase. There's got to be a car chase because, you know, you, you, th you think of like, uh, you know, like white line fever and, and uh, vanishing point and, and all these great car chase, uh, classic car chase movies of the time. And, um, 
one of my favorite grindhouse sort of grindhouse ish movie was race with the devil which is basically this 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 nice. this these two these two couples in a in a in a Winnebago who are traveling cross country and they inadvertently piss off a uh, a satanic cult <laughs> who begins trying to hunt them down and kill them and um it's it's just such a, such a great movie and 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 all of that sort of inspired you know the 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 origins of this and then it sort of began fleshing it out from there you know setting it in west texas um during a heat wave uh, I've always been into, you know, having the environment as a big feature of of scenarios and adventures. And so, you know, having this sort of desert isolation is is just absolutely great for that sort of thing. So um, it just kind of grew out of that. So, Alex, you, you, you do some of the blocking at that point, right? You figured out some of your mm-hmm. touchstones, the, some of the uh, feelings and environments you want to invoke. And, and w- what is the next step then? So you, you, you've done the blocking and tackling. It, I mean, I literally have no idea what I would do next in that scenario, but you do because you've done it so many times. So now that you've gotten that figured out, now what? Oh, I, I do quickly want to point out that 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 I didn't just write that on my own. I, I wrote it in, in uh, co-op. Co- uh, sorry, I, I wrote that with Ian Christensen, who is my other sort of co-writer. We've done a couple things together now. And uh, yeah, but he's not on the show. Just take credit, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, he, <laughs> well, then let's talk about it as a partnership then, Alex. Well, anyway, so what we, what, at that point, what we did was we just started to, uh, I think we, I think we ended up doing like a first early play test at like 40% done. So there's very little, we just had sort of a framework, you know, we came up with this, this, this fictional town called Abattoir, Texas, and uh, sort of wrote a little backstory for it and began to flush it out. But then we wanted to sort of test out the initial part of it, especially the car chase, which was sort of a, a key feature of it. And so we began to sort of play with it. And as, and in that process, we began to improvise and, you know, come up with ideas that we would write down. And so it began to sort of grow out of that. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, honestly, I, I tend to start with bullet points. Like I know what I know what you mm-hmm. know what sort of ch- either chapters I'm gonna have or what uh, locations or features or whatever, and then you just kind of start begin filling in here and there as you as you go along. You know, you start filling in those blanks. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that joke. You know, it's like uh, I, I just wrote this book. You know, I finished the cover. Now all I gotta do is fill in the rest. That's that's kind of how I do things. <laughs> right. Like one 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 thing I one thing I do is if I get an idea for a scenario. A lot of t- if I'm really excited about it, one of the first things I'll often do is make a cover for it, which is just completely not the way you're supposed to do it. But um, and I don't always stick with that cover ultimately, but by making that cover, it just inspires me so that I can, um, you know, when I go to open that document, I see that cover I'm like, OK, I know I know what, you know, it gets me back yeah. into that place. You know what I'm saying? I, I do. I do. Now, is there a structural template you work from or is there? Is there a kind of a pattern you like to shoot for? You know, when someone's writing a novel, you know, it's three acts and, you know, you know, not every novel is, but you know what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, is there a, a structural approach to what you, when you create scenarios? I think, uh, and I, I think most people would agree, most of my scenarios tend to be a lot more sandboxy than, uh, than, mm. than, than others. Um, I tend, I tend to, uh, um, have a lot of places that people can go, things they can do. And I, I don't like to include any kind of no win scenarios. There's, they can be very difficult scenarios, but 
you know, th- there's there's usually at least some way out. There's a way they can survive. There's a way right. they can, you know, persevere. And uh, you know, because that, that that's that's sort of one of the things that people have have stated they don't always like about Call of Cthulhu is the, that it's like, well, you're just gonna die and go insane in the end, no matter what. It's like, well, not necessarily. You know, you, you know, that they're it, it's it's quite possible, <laughs> but it's not not necessarily a foregone conclusion either. So I, I, I like to, I like to leave as much available, you know, to the players as possible enough, you know, in terms of player agency. So there's Alex, a lot of people have ideas. A lot of people start jotting down notes. A lot of people put together bullet points. A lot of people start writing stuff. Very few people finish. So I would be curious to know, how do you push through what I hear is one of the hardest parts, which is at the very end, putting, you know, the final touches, sanding off the corners. Do you have a way to, to get you to uh, that point where you can say it's ready? Um, I, honestly, I, th- I think it's it's you, you want to shoot for perfect, but you have to settle for 80 percent. You know, I think that's that's sort of what it boils down to. You know, you reach a, you have to reach a point where, you know, you could go over it again and you could add this thing in and you could do take this thing. You know, but at some point you just have to say, you know what, this, this, is this, I'm just going to go with it because if I just keep waiting yeah. to waiting and, you know, going over and over it, it's never going to get, get out there. You know, it's never going to be done. You know, so you have to reach a point where right. you just decide it's, it's, you know, this is, this is, this is, this is. This is good. Um, and, you know, it, it, it works. So just put it out there. And speaking of put it out there, this is an aspect of, of creating this type of content that fascinates me, which is, you know, it you play test it at your table. You build it on your computer. You, you have friends read through it. You have your whole process. But at some point you let go. And that thing goes out there and it's not yours anymore, right? People are picking Mm. it up and making it theirs. And what I'm always fascinated by is what comes back from that. So can you think of some some feedback you got, a review you got, a comment you got that that either that just surprised you and it could be delighted you or like, what the hell did he read? Like, how does that like I'm really interested to hear what it's like to have that echo come back. Honestly, some of my favorite things are. Have you ever been surprised? Are, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, well, actually, I'm sometimes sometimes surprised when I go back and read something. Like if I go back and read the pipeline after not reading it in a while, and I read something that I wrote, and it's like, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> like you don't see it in the moment, but then you go back and you reread it, and you're like, yeah. Well, because you've taken a step back now, like when you're when you're into it and you've seen the same yep. paragraph a hundred times and you've, you've, you've gone over it a thousand and you're just like, oh, God, I'm done with this. But then after a while, you go back to it and suddenly it's like, oh, wow, that, that isn't too bad, is it? <laughs> but actually, my favorite thing to, to, to encounter in the wild are live plays of my stuff, because I love oh. to see what what other keepers have done with it. Like, OK, just an example of. I, Highway of Blood is a great example because some people have done some amazingly creative things with it. For, for example, there's one podcast that's going to be, I think they're coming out early next year. They're releasing the the audio for it, but um, they ran it, but they the, they made up characters who were professional wrestlers and they, and they used and they used Pulp Cthulhu to run it. And it's like, that is brilliant. I, I, I need to see how that works. Um, that, that's, one of, that's one of the best things I've ever heard. Um, 
and then there was uh, another group that ran it. They played, um, uh, they, they were part of a drug cartel and they had arranged to have this, this meeting in this mm. out of the way place. So they, they, they just picked abattoir out of, out of, you know, uh, out of nowhere. And so now you've got this situation where you have these really bad guys fighting even worse guys, you know, and it's just, it's, you know, very much like a <laughs> dust yeah. till dawn situation. Right. So it's, it's, um, I, I, those are the things I really love is seeing people play it in the wild and and seeing what they what they end up doing with it and often surprising me with the thing the stuff they come up with or surprising me with you know like a lot of keepers they like to play with it right which is great so they change things around a little bit in fact um with the pipeline i released a second edition of it and some of the changes i made were were directly because of a uh, a live play i saw where they, they they changed a couple of things and i was like that's so brilliant why didn't I think of that? That's so much better than what I wrote. <laughs> so I, ta I, I talked to the guy and say, do you mind if I use this? You know, it's like, uh, cause I want to come out with it. I want to, you know, I want to redo the cover. I want to come out with a new edition. So I was like, yeah, sure. So he gave me permission and, and I made those updates and that, that went into the second edition. So yeah, I mean, I love oh, live that's, plays. That's fantastic. But I, one of the things that I, I do like reviews too, like, um, um, you know, with, you know, you guys talked about Seth Skorkowski. He's a great reviewer, um, but here is, is great because what I like about the both of them in particular is that while while they're reviewing it, they're being critical, but they're not being negative, right? Most most of the reviews are, right. you know, they they look at the they 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 try to they try to suss out the positive in it. You know, they like when you look at Seth's stuff, he's always like, yeah, it's got these problems, but here's how you could run it in a way where you can have fun with it, and I, and I love that. You know, I, I I don't I'm not a big fan of the ones who are like, that's crap, you know, and then they just kind of toss it over their shoulder and be done with it. What's gained by watching that right or listening to that? Like, you know, I, and I'm I'm the same way. You know, I get sent as I'm sure, you know, you guys do get sent stuff and you know, like, do you mind, you know, mm -hmm. reviewing? Do you take review copies? And I just had this happen recently. And I said. Yeah, but just so just so you know, I, by sending me a review copy is no guarantee that I'm going to put it anywhere right i'm not going to mention it right. or anything like that because i only will talk about things where i can have a positive angle on it and it doesn't right. mean i liked it right but i can just say you know this was this was really clever i may yeah. not mention the 10 other things i didn't like but it, there's got to be something in there so i think that that's fantastic now when we were talking about horror alex um you mentioned mm -hmm. you know how important environments are and, and, and how that's a big element to you know as you are designing these things and if anybody who's already at your page right now sees these cinematic environments uh, series that you've been doing, um, can mm -hmm. we get a sense of what they are and why they exist? Sure. Um, they uh, they started off in in, in as D and D supplements. Actually, um, if you look through drive through, you can find them. You know, th those are the first ones that came out. And I was approached by um, a friend of mine, DBJ, who is he has his own YouTube channel for a while. He hasn't been doing it as much lately, I don't believe, but he had this idea for these to doing these, you know, cinematic books um, about, you know, different environments and so forth. And so we, we sort of brainstormed about it and came up with these ideas. And then we just started to publish these different environment books for use with uh, fifth edition D&D. &D. And, uh, um, and then I thought, well, you know what, I've, I've already got the material and I think these would work really well for Call of Cthulhu. So I just took them. I, I sort of had to, you know, went through and, you know, redid the rules to, you know, fit uh, Call of Cthulhu, say, a seventh edition, uh, obviously changed the artwork and so forth. And then 
you know, sort of re-release them with with that. And in fact, the pipeline came out of came out of that because the original idea was to have oh wow uh, the the Arctic environs. And I thought, well, you know, what? I, I did this this one-off uh, Kalkulu scenario a while back that was pretty good. So I'll, maybe I'll just throw that on the back of it, just as kind of a bonus thing, right? <laughs> and then and then I started writing on that, and it's like it got to be like three, four, five times bigger than the actual <laughs> Arctic thing. So I was like. Well, maybe maybe I, maybe I better do it the other way around. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it ended up being released as a scenario. Oh, that's fantastic. So, guys, you know, the reason, um, of course, that uh, Alex and Bud were dumb enough to say they would come on the show is they wanted to talk about viral. And that's what I want to talk about, too. So we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about their Call of Cthulhu scenario viral. We'll be right back. You like science fiction, right? You love playing games, maybe even role-playing games. But what if you can't get your friends together for a game night? If you love games like Mothership or Orbital Blues, check out Deadbelt, a card-based space western solo strategy RPG about skillful and desperate scavengers picking over the remains of junked starships in hopes of a juicy payday. In it, you deal with lurking dangers, push your luck, and walk away with enough cred to keep on flying. Of course, you might get eaten by lurking aliens, or run afoul of rival scavengers, or face the murderous ghosts of long-dead spacers. No one said life in the dead belt was going to be easy. For more information on this and all of Sean and Abby Drake's games, swing over to acoupleofdrakes.com. The link's in the show notes. So for those of you who are not familiar with viral, I'm going to give you the little uh, uh, blurb that I came across to kind of set the, set the tone and where we are. Join Marco Proudfoot, host of the successful YouTube channel, The Spectral Crew, as he and his fellow paranormal investigators journey to an island off the coast of Sicily to explore its very dark past. The only public information is a pixelated satellite map and a pile of redacted documents. But a little digging on the dark web has revealed something far more sinister. What better way to make your final push for 1 million subscribers than to stream their investigation live from the island? The crew hopes to find evidence of the paranormal, but what they discover is so much more horrific than just orbs of dust and incoherent voices in the static. Great hook. I don't know who's responsible for writing it, but that's good. That's real good. It's excellent. Um, so. We've already kind of covered, you know, that this came from a liminal idea and how you guys stripped away some of the concepts in that liminal idea and, you know, and brought it together. You two decide, hey, do you want to do something together? You get to that point where you've kind of got a basic premise. Um, you you know what you're going to pull from liminal 
So the part that fascinates me um, with the two of you is really the process, right? Because, you know, I've talked to a lot of creators that work on their own and then maybe they'll put it out there as part of playtest and stuff like that. But from the very beginning, the two of you said we're doing this together as a partnership. And um, instead of having Bud describe his role, I think it's more interesting for Alex to describe his role. So, Alex, what does Bud contribute or what is Bud's role in in the making of viral and in, in this particular uh, collaboration? Well, um Especially with, I mean, with viral, at least the, I think the, the, the big area that he focused on primarily, especially at the beginning was the characters. Cause he's, he's really good at, mm. at creating, uh, compelling, uh, the, the compelling pre-generated characters. And, um, you know, hey, he already ha- sort of had, had them in, in, in general for his liminal, uh, game. But of course they had to be, you know, sort of reworked and reskinned and, and, uh, we did, we made some other changes, but generally speaking, they're, you know, they're all, a lot of them are sort of based on, on, on those characters. But, uh, yeah, that, that was sort of the big area that he sort of was focusing on. And then, uh, on my end, I sort of started focusing on, you know, like maps and, and the you know, locations and, and so forth. And then we sort of came, came together from each end of those, of those things, if that makes sense. Interesting. And, and how about for you, bud? Like, it, it, do you, obviously you agree with that, but uh, typically somebody uh, like Alex will short sell themselves. So uh, w- what do you think are some of the highlights of working with Alex or where you think uh, I would find Alex's biggest fingerprints and viral? Um, but the look and feel of viral is a big thing. I mean, I don't know which copy of the hardback you've got. Have you got the unredacted or the, the normal, the original one? Um, you know, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I have to look. Oh, it, 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 it's, only, it's, it's only the unredacted, actually, because we don't, the, we didn't do the hardcover for... The regular one. Oh, okay, that answers the oh, question. Yeah. I have the hardcover. Yeah. Right. Well, there's a, there's a beginner's section in 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 the, the mythical town of Perla on the coast. Yeah. And even the, the like the design of that was was done in a such a way. I remember mentioning it to Alex. It's really clever how if you look at look at the pages of Perla, everything's colourful and lifts from the page. Then when you make the transition to Isola de Malamente, it all turns green, black, and grey. Yeah. And you you get that transition through. Um. I, I would say, to be honest, it, just to react to something Alex said, one of my main things is, 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 is annoying the hell out of Alex. <laughs> How by, so? <laughs> by, by saying things like, no, that won't work because of this. Right. Or, or that won't work because of this. Um, one, of, one of Alex's big things he loves to do is create maps. And it's really evident in, in, in all of his products that they look fantastic. And the artwork as well. I mean, some of the artwork for the next scenario is just mind-blowingly good. Um, and I, I, I think Alex is right. We do approach it from two different ends and meet in the middle. Because I'm very kind of, I focus more on the characters and the story. And then then Alex will do the kind of, he does the art, the layout. And because as he said himself, the art inspires you to think of different things. Yeah. Um, and then we, and then he does a lot of the descriptions of things like rooms and like comes up with, hey, I've got this cool idea for this. And then we'll go, we either both give it a thumbs up or we'll, we'll have a little discussion about it. But if it's not, we're not pressed. I, I think you'd agree, Alex, neither of us are precious about anything, are we? No, I mean, I, I mean, occasionally we'll, we'll, you know, we'll reach a point where we, we sort of stick to something, you know, and sometimes, sometimes rightly, you know, like sometimes, sometimes if, if, if you, if you're really insistent on something, and and you really believe in it, then you stick with it. But if you know, but you have to be willing to say, um, yeah, I guess I guess you're right, or 
you know what? I'm not that married to it. So either way, I'm good. You know, um, but that's, that's, pa- that's passive aggressive notes in Google. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Alex, that leads to a very obvious question is, can you tell me mm-hmm. something you fought for? Something that um, there was there was a discussion between the two of you. You may not have fully agreed, but you said, no, I, I know this has to make it. Can you think of something that uh, I would find in my hardback of viral right now? Oh, man, I'm trying to think. Um, I don't know, but do you, I, but it might know better than I would if, if I fought for anything. Um, I don't recall fighting for anything particular. Um, no, no, so really, so no. Bud, Bud won all the fights? <laughs> no, no. There was really a lot well, of fighting. Well, would do it. He would just change it, and I hope I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> like there was one thing he doesn't think I noticed, but I did notice is the uh, the guy who takes them to the island. I changed it so he smoked menthol cigarettes, <laughs> which I thought was an ultimate act of irony, given the fact that he's taking him to you know spoilers a disease god, and he's but he's smoking menthol because they're slightly better for him. And Alex just changed it back surreptitiously to normal cigarettes. And I don't did think I? Alex thought I noticed, but I did notice. Oh, it. I, honestly, I, I didn't notice either. So it, it's what it's on it's on both of us because I didn't even notice I did that. I, it, if it was unintentional, so because <laughs> yeah, I would I would have no. No thought in that. <laughs> I had no, no person that race. No, it's based on it's based on a guy I used to know who used to is it? You no, know, go to a nightclub, pop any pill that was handed to him, but would only smoke menthol cigarettes because they're better for you. <laughs> so uh, we we talk about the art, we talk about the story and the characters, but there, I mean, someone has to write the words. So I'd like to get a sense of the copy. Um, as are are you writing some and throwing it to each other? Like, how does the copy end up coming to life? Yeah, I mean that's pretty much it. We'll often we'll split it out into sections, won't we, Alex? Yeah, I'll say I'll write this bit, and then Alex will go away and write another bit, and then we'll both take a look at each other's and we'll we'll offer tweaks either way. And normally we come right. to a happy compromise. I, you know, I would, I would think that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, yeah, yeah look, we'll, 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 like, we'll, we try different sections. Like, uh, well, we'll come up with a list of things we need to fill out. Essentially, remember, you know, like I talked earlier about, you know, you have, you have the bullet points and then I'll say, okay, well, I'll, I'll write this section and I'll write this section. And then, and then we'll go over it and look at it and say, you know, uh, oh, that, 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 what a great idea that is. So what if we added this? Um, I mean, generally speaking, I think we try to both yes and not no, <laughs> but um, uh, sometimes we'll tweak it. I think if we 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 both, uh, you know, we we both appreciate each other's style, and 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 we try not to we try not to you know change it too too much. But I think I think usually what it's what it's more about is about um, making sure that things match up, consistency throughout. I guess is the the right words to use. Yeah. And this is where I'm going to head on this because I'll be honest with you. Um, and this is something that really impressed me, by the way, if I tore out the first few pages of that book and read it, I would not have guessed it was a collaboration because there is, there is a single voice that goes from beginning to end in that scenario. Um, and I have n- really no idea how that's possible with both of you being involved in the writing of the copy. Was that a conscious thing? Do you guys just think enough alike? Or how did you guys get it to sound like this was made by the same voice? I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I think Alex will agree with me when he thinks about it is it's a lot to do with the editing. Because we had Pookie editor. Pookie's a renowned editor. Got and, it. And he was very much, you've got to come in at this from the same angle. 
like what Americanisms do you use? What what Englishisms do you use? Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. like we had the discussion about do you call it a helicopter or a chopper? That kind of thing, that kind of yeah. granular level we went down to. We almost had, a, we almost had an argument sure. about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I mean, for, like, for example, the intro script where the email that Marco sends the rest of the crew to say, we've got this thing, I kind of already had that written for the liminal yeah. one, mm-hmm. and it was just a few tweaks, and it was good to go. Yeah. You know, um, and then Alex would just take what I've written and, then he would base what he'd done on that, and then I would take what he's written, and then base the next bit I've done on how he how he put it together. I think it was a really it was a proper collaboration. Yeah. In that you know it wasn't just one person solely responsible. We all we, we had. I mean, for example, the whole beginning section on Perla. I was very much look when we go and print. I think we should offer something extra because I love stuff like that. Yeah. So I sat down in like three or four hours and wrote the entire thing, Perla. And then sent it to Alex, and he just went tweak, 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 and there we go. And it was like, yeah, it's perfect. You know, it was there wasn't much we had to do with it beyond, you know, someone putting the layer of fairy dust one way or another. Yeah, but do you think you guys clicked out of the gate, or did it take a little bit of time to get used to working together? Um, it took a little bit of time, but we we played enough together. Um, right. With impossible landscapes, that we we kind of become friends over that anyway um and it was just it was just it was great to be able to go oh you know we're going to be do this thing and publish it and, you know I've, I've got an actual book in print that i helped write it's a weird sensation yeah i mean i i think i think that uh i mean the editing is definitely a big part but i think there's also that we we i think we both tried to respect each other's uh each other's creativity and our and, and, yeah. our, and our style and so like when I would when I would go in and, and come up and you know see 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 something might might be tweaked on something that Bud wrote, I wouldn't try to rewrite it in my style necessarily. I would try to keep it keep it as, as close to his style as possible, but maybe switch you know change this around or you know add this little bit of extra to you know to make to clarify something or you know whatever. But you know I tried to make sure it was still his his voice if that makes sense. It does make sense. It does make sense a lot. So, um, Alex, I want to talk a little bit about the playtest process real quick. Um, mm-hmm. When you, well, first of all, how early on did viral get exposed to the table? I think I should take that one, shouldn't I, Alex? Yeah, oh, go, please. Yeah, <laughs> I ran it for the first time at Grogmeat, and one of my players was Paul Fricker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he knows a little bit about uh, Call of Cthulhu scenarios. <laughs> Paul Fricker got caught that. up by his... He, bo- he got found out by his own rule. <laughs> you can't spend luck on a sand roll. <laughs> I was like, you know what? You've not, not got anyone to blame but yourself, Paul. <laughs> nice try, Paul. <laughs> but I ran, it, I ran it as a single session for the first time in public um, at Grogmeat. And everyone at the end of it was like, that was great. I was like, it's really meant to be run over two or three, but I condensed it. How baked was it, though, at that point, bud? It wasn't so much what you would call half-baked. It had a few things removed. Mm-hmm. It was it was like a plain cake rather than, you know, a, a Black Forest Gatto. It was, it, was, it, was as, it was as much as I could get into one session as I could get. Yeah. And as it, as it turns out, um, three or four hours, it was ready. It, it was edible, just not fancy. <laughs> 
<laughs> so looking, looking at the play tests as you go through it, what, what died or what came in as a result of play tests? I want to get a sense of the impact of play tests in the final product, bud. Uh, well, I, I, I mean, I ran it six times and I think Alex ran it three, didn't you? But three I think, four, I think yeah. Alex ran it before me online. Yeah. He ran it, he ran it through discord as well. Um, one, one, one of the main things that I picked up was things people added to the characters. Ooh. And we wrote them into the characters. For example, there's a, there's a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Griffiths, and he was one of our players, and he played the, the, the psychic um, Karina. And as a way of getting around, not having to do anything on camera, he claimed he was allergic to everything. So it was like, you know, because there's the lemon grove in it and where there's the weird lemons you pick off the trees. The first thing he says, oh, no, I'm allergic to lemons. And I thought, that is brilliant. And it's so the character. So we wrote it into the character that she would claim to be allergic to things to get out of doing them on the camera because she wants people to take her seriously. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. How about for you, Alex? Can you think of something uh, maybe that was added or removed late in, late in the process that um, really just made everything click together? Uh, let me think. Um, I guess uh, the, 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 at the finale, this is uh, kind of spoilery if, uh, uh, for anyone who might be listening, but uh, um, at, the, at the very end, at the climax, this sort of and this sort of a flight from the island at this point as, as, as things are, are going, going badly. And uh, there was, you know, a lot of sort of going back and forth about how, essentially how they escape. Right. Uh, from, mm -hmm. from this from this underground, um, uh, this underground temple and how they managed to get out. And uh, we went over, we were going over the rules on on like climbing, like, cause, you know, obviously, if you give a if you give a character a climb skill in in Call of Cthulhu, that's anything more than base. It's people immediately are suspect. Right. Like a player is going to look at that right. and it's like. Why does he need such a big high climb skill? You know, <laughs> so we had to figure out. It's like, yeah, well, we had big discussions know, to, over that, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think, I think we ended up just going with a, a an ability check, right? To uh, to climb out, didn't we? Uh, yeah, originally, because only one of the characters had a climb skill, and we wrote it into his into his because uh, the the main character um, Marco is a fitness guy. So we gave him a climb skill because that's the kind of thing he would do. But we we did discuss this. We were like, if we gave all the characters climb, they're all going to be going. We're going to have to climb at some point here. Why? Exactly. <laughs> the met the meta the meta game inside of your brain kicks in. Yeah. So we just removed it entirely and wrote a new set of rules for how to get out of this this the temple. Yeah, and I guess the other thing was the the idea of 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 the taint, which was the, is these. Uh, this this thing they acquire as as they're on the island, um, and you know when we're working on the character sheets, we're deciding, you know, we don't want to we don't want to put taint on there because first of all that sounds you know again the, the, they're going to metagame that like you know this this is bad right, so we end, we ended up just putting like an exposure bar, um, mm. which which is a little more benign you know or or at least not not as 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 ominous and. Uh, so that you know the keeper can still have them keep track because we i think we went back and forth with you know having the keeper keep track of it do they want to keep it secret you know um you know so the a lot of that came out in the play test like what seemed to work better because got it as, as soon as 
you know, I try to run as a keeper and and keep track of everyone's um, exposure there. It was just, no, nah, I don't want to yeah. do this. <laughs> this is this is not fun. Let them do it. So we just have to figure out how we're gonna how we're gonna call it something that's not gonna immediately, you know, make them nervous or any more nervous than they have to be. What was funny about that when I read it, Alex, and, the, and I was when I was going through the scenario is it, it, it shows something that I have learned recently um, and has changed how I run games. So I used to be captain uh, secret GM, right? I would love to hide things from them, roll the dice, don't tell them why and stuff like that, mm-hmm. thinking that I was adding tension to the table and, you know, upping the game. What I realized now, and it was Blades in the Dark that made me realize this the most with clocks which is you put it in front of the players. You let them look at this and the things ticking by and time going down and exposure going up. And it, it's 10 times more yeah. unnerving and impactful than if you hide it from them. So I, I yeah. really thought that was clever when you guys put it in there. So um, the last thing that I love to do on, on my show, uh, Alex and Bud, is I, I love mm-hmm. to talk not only to creators about how they make their things and their process, but I love finding out what creators consume. So I'm going to start with you, Alex. Is there anything recently in the last, you know, months or years that you that got its hooks into you and you couldn't let go a video game you couldn't put down a book you couldn't stop reading a show you couldn't stop binging? Um, What is something that really just grabbed you recently? Oh, wow. Um, I'm trying to think. Honestly, I've been I've been I've been writing a lot lately, so I haven't really been uh, really been that immersed in anything. uh, anything that unusual. Uh, why don't you give it to Bud and let me think about it for a second. <laughs> okay. So we're going to pause on Alex. How about for you, Bud? What is something that, um, and it can be a role-playing game, right? It could be anything, but I, I'm always curious to know um, what has done to you, what you hope viral does to somebody else. What is something that's gotten us hooks in you? Um, within, over the pandemic, we sat and actually watched the Sopranos for the first time. Nice. I've never seen it before. Um, and me and me and my wife sat down and watched the entire thing over a couple of months, and I purposely avoided spoilers, although it's some inevitably you you can't sure. avoid, um, so that I knew I, you know I'd be surprised by the end, and I've I've got to be honest, I wasn't surprised by the end. I knew something was <laughs> going to happen like that. Um, as for, as for things like reading, I mean, I'm see, I I, I listen to music more. Than, than, than I would sit and watch a TV show or game. Um, so I'm what's some new music that you've listened to recently that uh, that's really gotten its hooks in you? Um, the last, the thing I've been binging about recently is Pink Floyd Animals, the, the, the new remix oh, of God. it. Um, I've not heard the remix, but what an album. Uh, the remix is beautiful, but the thing is, it's, it's not that different because Pink Floyd recorded this stuff really well in the first place. Yeah. So I've been I've been listening to that quite a lot recently. Um, I mean, my musical tastes vary from like technical death metal to jazz. So um, I'll listen to a wide variety of things. I love I love me I love me a ghost show, which is kind of mm. why I got, I got into the whole idea of viral because I mean a lot of the notes in viral about ghost hunting and how to pull off the the ghost hunting aesthetic was from just years of me watching ghost shows. Oh, that's cool. You know, and often laughing me, laughing to the point of collapsing how bad they were. But also when they get that one bit of creepy something they can't explain that they clearly didn't expect, then you know that that's when it grabs your attention. Yeah. That, that's kind of that's my not so guilty pleasure. Uh, <laughs> ghost and paranormal shows. <laughs> how about for you, Alex? Has Bud inspired you to think of something recently that you've enjoyed? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess um, I like listening to um, uh, stories on podcasts. For example, there's been some really great stuff from uh, a, a, a podcast called Old Gods of Appalachia. Um, so good. Uh, and uh, I've been I've been looking for sort of more stuff like that. Um, I, there's another uh, YouTube channel called Horror Babble, which um, mm. they do a lot of readings of of, of horror stories. They've, they've started to make their own as well, but they've they've done like all of Lovecraft stuff, and the the reader just does such a wonderful job. It's 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 not made like a like a radio drama, but it has that kind of that the voice has a kind of quality to it. So like you can just you can just yeah. kind of sit there, turn the light off, you know, you know, turn, you know, and just sit there in the dark and and listen to this this story sort of unfold around you. And and I, I those those are the kind of things that I really like. And those sort of um, they sort of keep me inspired while I'm writing, <laughs> you know, to get me into the mood. So let me give you a couple quick recommendations um, mm-hmm. based off of what you just said there, Alex. If you want to, if you want more, yeah, like because yeah, sure. I'm a huge old gods fan. Um, mm. but, uh, there's a couple podcasts. One is called the town whispers, Ooh. um, which I think is excellent. Um, and similar, um, in tone and give me just a second. I'm scrolling through to make sure I get the, um, uh, uh, head right. Uh, there's a, uh, uh, this is, and this is, the, this is a buddy of mine, but this is really good. A writer named Patrick E. McLean, and he's recently been putting out an audio drama for a called a town called nowhere, which is a Western meets a Hiberian fantasy story um, with a lot of horror elements, which you might like. Um, and there's, where is the other one? Um, it's called, it's called the old ways, um, but I'm not seeing it on my feed, but uh, the old ways is also another good one. Um, I really enjoy that stuff too. Um, and it's really interesting to hear you know, because I spent a lot of time listening to actual plays as well, Alex. It's mm-hmm. also nice to go and and listen to just to a story sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at live live plays like uh uh what was it, Ain't Slayed Nobody? Um yep. I don't know if you've heard if you've heard them, but they uh um, oh, yeah. they edit theirs in such a way where it, it, it is they it they sort of edit it down to almost very much like a, a radio drama. Um the way it's edited, much so. which is very cool. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Well, gentlemen, on a Saturday afternoon, there's a lot of really cool things you could be doing, and it would not involve having to sit here and listen to me talk to you and ask you questions. So, but I'll start with you. I really appreciate you making the time. I've been looking forward to this. No problem. And Alex, uh, we survived uh, the storm. You are you were <laughs> able to make it, and even despite technical difficulties, it was a real pleasure talking to you as well. Oh, my pleasure. Great to be here. And you listening right now? You listen to the whole thing. This is the end. I appreciate you listening. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe to Tabletop Talk and share it with your friends. Check out our content on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and stay updated on everything coming from Third Floor. All the links are in the show notes. Take care, Floorheads. That was perfect, gentlemen. Exactly the type of stuff I love. So thank you. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, sorry about the overtalk. But very yeah. hard to get, it's it's hard. Hey, we got a delay. Uh, yeah. I mean, let's yeah. let's stop for a second and appreciate the fact that 
you know, not only am I, thou, you know, what, 1,500 miles, 2,000 miles, whatever number of kilometers it is between us and Bud, but you're in the middle of goddamn nowhere and all of us are yeah. able to do this. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. no, no, it's crazy. It I, exactly. I, I try not to, 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 you know, get jaded to that because it is amazing. Uh, despite despite the occasional yeah. uh, snafus with the technology, <laughs> yeah, and, and with and with the delay, guys, like um, we have to play through it. So by all means, just keep going. And we all know to sh- yep. to shut up because it's the delay and stuff like that. So I think we're navigating yeah. it great. I'm not at all concerned. <clears throat> not a problem. All right, I'll bring us back. You still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway... Thanks for sticking around. Take care. Bye.